to infinity and beyond! You actually think you're the Buzz Lightyear? You are a toy! You are a child's plaything! You're mocking me, aren't you? Whoa, hey, wait a minute. Being a toy is a lot better than being a, a space ranger. Over in that house is a kid who thinks you are the greatest, and it's not because you're a space ranger, pal. It's because you're a toy. You are his toy. And to him, you're his buddy, his best friend. And when Andy plays with you, it's like, even though you're not moving, you feel like you're alive, because that's how he sees you. Life's only worth living if you're being loved by a kid. But what happens when the kids grow up? Welcome to Now Playing's Toy Story Retrospective Series. You got a play date with destiny. Hosted by Arnie. He'll never give up on you. Ever. He'll be there for you, no matter what. Stuart. I've been here years. They'll never break me. And Jacob. You're my favorite deputy. A new podcast is posted every Tuesday, so come back each week for another new show. Then we'd better make sure we're there waiting for them. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. The word I'm searching for, I can't say, because there's preschool toys present. We do a lot of improv here. Just stay loose, have fun, you'll be fine. Today we're discussing... Toy Story 4, starring Tom Hanks, Tim Allen, Annie Potts, Tony Hale, Keegan-Michael Key, Jordan Peele, Madeline McGraw, Christina Hendricks, Keanu Reeves, Ali Mackey, Jay Hernandez, Lori Allen, Joan Cusack, directed by Josh Cooley. This is Artie, co-host of Now Playing, here to bring the kaboom. And Stuart. This is Jacob, and I'm all out of slink. Someone has poisoned the water well, and it was me. I will admit it. <laughs> Everyone wanted this show out last Tuesday, but it was kind of a pileup. We are right now up to our next in cinematic weekend of release. Chucky's back. Same week the toys are back in town. Annabelle's coming home. What are we going to do here? And then I had a real-life love story going on. My brother got married this past weekend, so I had to sneak off to the movies while going to his wedding, his <laughs> reception. And you had two movies to see. You had to see Chucky and this one, Toy Story. Yeah, it was an enormous undertaking. I thank you for your patience. We, of course, put out the connected Annabelle movie, La Llorona, last Tuesday. And just consider this an extra thank you for being a listener. We know that you wanted it, and the box office tells me people still care about Toy Story. But do they care as much? It's a weaker Toy Story opening. 118 million, yes, weaker. Yeah, I think it's still the biggest of the series, but when you adjust for inflation, it has been nine years since Toy Story 3. The term I'm hearing, franchise fatigue. Is this a real thing? I know I'm tired. It's <laughs> partly jet lag. But is franchise fatigue really happening right now? Are people tired of sequels or are they just tired of going to the movies? Oh, if they're tired of sequels and franchises now playing, 
Yeah, I don't know. Endgame. That made plenty of money. That's part 22. So I think it might just be a general movie going thing. People just don't want to go to the theaters these days. And it could be the offerings as well. Honestly, there's a lot of movies that we've reviewed recently that I wouldn't have gone to see in theaters. Men in Black 4, La Llorona, Annabelle. I mean, a lot of this would have been stuff that I'd catch when it rolled around on HBO or Showtime. And I'll say, I didn't know if I would have gone to Toy Story 4. I was worried about it because... Because I thought that third one ended on such a perfect note. Why go back? And, you know, I did catch up on Pixar. I, I said there was a few that I had not seen. I did not finish the Cars franchise. I will only do that if we do it as a retrospective someday. But I did go back. I caught up with Finding Dory and The Good Dinosaur. So I've caught up pretty much on Pixar. And again, Incredibles 2 did a lot, but I wonder if they have damaged their reputation a little bit with some of their later offerings and all these sequels. And where does that damage stem from? Some people might accuse them of going back to Disney. Keep in mind, all of their sterling first offerings happened before they became an official wing of the Disney branch. That happened in 2006. Toy Story 3 was the first movie under that umbrella. I think most of the world feels that Toy Story is Pixar's most precious commodity. We want to protect it. We don't want another one if it's not going to meet that standard. But when you get those Oscar nominations and all that box office and sell all that merchandise and you got to answer to your shareholders, what conglomerate wouldn't Greenlight a part four? Who's going to say, no, we can't think of anything good enough. We're just not going to do it. No, they're going to march forward. They're going to keep going back to that well. The fear is always that they're going to eventually pull up an empty bucket. There'll be nothing left in that well. Would Toy Story 4 be that film? I feared that, and so it did color my perspective about being excited to see the movie. Of course, I'm rooting for it, but I'm nervous. Yeah, and I also think with Laster gone, that is a wild card. Like, you know, whatever he did in his personal life, <laughs> that's bad. Those Toy Story films, he was a big part of that, and now here's this new director. I looked this guy up. He did a couple of Pixar shorts. But that also seems like a big risk. And I think for people that are maybe a little bit more insider when it comes to movies, that might be a, another little signal. I don't know if I want to go see this. This is inexperienced director. Yeah, you know, Lasseter, this is the first Pixar film that he does not have his name on as producer. And it's going to be the last one that has his name at all. He gets a story credit. He was the one that started the idea of Toy Story 4. My understanding is it got completely rewritten. Much of what he suggested is not up here on screen, but is the work of a new screenwriter, Stephanie Folsom. But I do think it's interesting. Yes, we all know at this point that he stepped down officially at the end of 2018 amid a mountain of sexual harassment allegations. I do feel like this is the Pixar film to respond to that. I mean, I do feel it is about regime change and an old icon stepping aside, riding off into the sunset. Elvis has left the building, so to speak, and this is the movie to talk about what that looks like. How did you see it? I ended up seeing it IMAX, not 3D, but I couldn't get anyone. The wedding had plenty of children, and I kept thinking, <laughs> oh, there were four girls from age five to 16. They all wanted to go to Disneyland. I'm like, okay, well, how about this movie? No. Why don't you want to see Toy Story 4? Forky. They didn't like Forky a lot. They didn't like the way he looked. They thought it was stupid. They didn't want anything to do with Forky. And so I ended up going by myself. 
I'll admit, I was nervous when I saw Forky on a toy store shelf without any context to the movie. I was like, they're really selling that $30 spork? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Believe it. That is crazy that someone is going to have to make an action figure version of this preschool project. But I saw it uh, in a matinee screening, about half full, and no children. All young, mostly men, late teenager, early 20-something. I had to laugh because at the end of the movie, one got up and started running around and looking at all his friends close in the eye to see who of them was crying. And the one that they found that was crying, they all pointed to and like emotionally shamed. I thought, oh, no, (laughs) my wife did give me a cheek pat down at one point. I'll talk about it to see if I was crying so I could kind of relate to that. My wife did check my eyes. Mm-hmm. Wow. I at no point in this movie even got verklempt. I'm not saying that if I did or not, but she gave me an <laughs> ocular pat down. I saw this in 3D. I did a double feature because Stuart was out of town over the weekend. I actually got a rare thing, which was a weekend completely off. And so on Monday, I went and did a back-to-back double feature of Child's Play and Toy Story 4. (laughs) The marketing for Child's Play said that that would be one way to do it. And it was really funny to me. I guess Monday nights are not huge for theater goers. And especially, my God, the 3D ticket price. I have that AMC Unlimited thing, so it was soft dollars to, to whatever movie I saw. But $15 for an adult ticket and $10 per child? No wonder there were no families in there. There were six people total, me, an employee, and then two older couples in their 50s or 60s. And that was it. There were kids at Child's Play. There were young children (laughs) at Child's Play. But over at the 3D Toy Story, there was just a six old middle-aged people. Mm -hmm. Arnie, you're just not used to California prices. I paid 12 bucks before 5 p.m. Those are the cheap tickets. And I still pay $12 to see this because we are doing it late. I didn't have to go over the weekend. I really didn't want to do that. Just, yeah, the crowds and all the kids that are associated with a G-rated film. I did see this on a Tuesday afternoon, but I'd say about half full the theater was. There was kids, older people. It, it was all ages. I know mean, It is summer. School's out, so not unusual at this time of year. Well, do you have a plot? When last we saw our plastic heroes, their longtime owner, Andy, had bequeathed them to neighborhood top Bonnie. But Bonnie is about to start kindergarten, and Woody isn't a favorite toy anymore by any means. He's left in the closet for days and gathers dust bunnies while Bonnie plays with other toys. She even gives the ultimate indignity. She takes Woody's sheriff badge and pins it to Jesse. Woody has trouble adjusting to this new position, and things worsen when Bonnie gets a new favorite toy, Forky. No, not a new mass-produced item, but something she made out of literal garbage, including a spork and some pipe cleaners. And as a toy, Forky comes to life. But he wants to be trash. He was meant to be trash. So while Bonnie clings to him, he runs repeatedly for the garbage. Woody makes it his mission to keep Bonnie happy by corralling Forky during each escape attempt, and things go awry on a family RV trip. Bonnie takes a bunch of toys, including her favorite Forky, and Forky jumps out the window shouting, I'm litter! For Bonnie's sake, Woody jumps out to retrieve him. Here, the story kind of splits in two for a while. Woody catches the wayward spork and convinces Forky that a toy's job is very important, and Forky decides he does need to be there for Bonnie, and they start back to the RV. However, along the way, they pass an antique store, and in the window, Woody spies a lamp that looks exactly like the one that belonged to Molly, Andy's little sister. And on that lamp used to be a Bo Peep that Woody had a crush on. But the lamp was given away when Molly was too old for a nightlight. Looking for Bo, Woody takes Forky into the antique store, but instead finds Gabby Gabby, a 50s toy with a manufacturing defect. Her voice box never worked. 
but it's the same model as Woody's. Gabby hopes that if she gets Woody's voice box, she can talk, and then she'll become a favorite toy of Harmony, the granddaughter of the store owner. Gabby has four ventriloquist dummies, all named Benson, that she uses as enforcers. She kidnaps Forky to try to make Woody give up his voice box. But Woody escapes the store and encounters Bo. She had been in the antique store for years, but got bored of waiting to be bought, so she took her sheep and went off on her own as a lost toy. But she's happy to see Woody and offers to help him rescue Forky. To do this, they enlist the help of Canadian daredevil Duke Kaboom to jump into the cabinet where Gabby is keeping Forky. Meanwhile, Buzz has been trying to find his conscience. Failing to do that, he's been following whatever instructions he gets when he pushes the electronic talk feature on his chest. This leads him in search of Woody, but he ends up at a carnival where he meets up with lonely, childless carnival prize toys Ducky and Bunny. The three assist Woody in Forky's rescue. But it goes wrong and all the toys but Woody decide to cut their losses, and Woody goes back in after Forky and Gabby convinces him he's had a good life with a child. She never has. So he willingly gives up his voice box to her in exchange for a promise that Forky goes back to Bonnie. But Gabby learns a hard lesson when she finds, even with a voice box, Harmony wants nothing to do with the old doll. Woody offers to take Gabby back to Bonnie as a new toy, so they escape the shop with Forky. They plan to meet back up with the other toys at the carousel in the center of the carnival. The toys still in the RV use various methods to get that RV to the merry-go-round, and Bo and Duke help Woody and Gabby make it in time. But Gabby sees a lost child in the carnival and goes to her. She's able to comfort the child and become that child's beloved toy. And yes, the girl finds her mother. Woody gets back to the RV in time, but realizes he has no purpose in Bonnie's life, so he decides to stay behind as a lost toy with his bow, as well as Ducky and Bunny. Woody says goodbye to the other toys, who go off with Bonnie in the RV, as credits roll. I knew very little going into this movie, but one of the things I did know, you guys had spoiled for me. Bo was returning. The, the trailer spoiled it. <laughs> it's not a big deal. We know it almost instantly in the first scene here. We're jumping back to the Andy years to the moment where she is actually repurposed. They're trying to put some kind of timeline here. We're told nine years ago. So for those trying to figure out all the ages and things, obviously this is after Toy Story 2 because Bo was still around for that one. Yeah, Jesse and Bullseye is there. Yeah, and obviously for Molly to be old enough to not need the lamp she's i would guess seven years old or something like we're probably getting fairly close to toy story 3 yeah this just makes me wonder what discarded line in this movie will be the impetus for the plot of the next toy story part five because you know part one al's toy barn had a commercial and that became a big deal for two and two they talk about you know when your owner doesn't love you anymore you go to the incinerator and that happened in three like and bo peep was missing in three and now yeah she takes the place of buzz in this one i feel like buzz is so far in the background with this one this is a Woody and Bo Peep storyline, but this opening scene, it's there to remind us what does Woody do? He never leaves a toy behind. And we see RC, he's stuck out in the rain, about to be swept away with the gutter, so we get a nice little, you know, we always had these imaginary scenes of the toys playing, but we get a real rescue scene this time. My lord, again, the quantum leap forward in animation with the water and the leaves and the grass... Yeah, I was just staring at that window as the raindrops are running down, and I'm like, wow, this looks amazing. Yeah, it has been nine years since Toy Story 3, and I don't think it's been the quantum leap from 2 to 3, but there was moments, particularly with that lightning flash, I was like, that almost feels photorealistic. I felt that way about the grass. I seriously thought at times, I'm like, oh, there's real grass. Wait, nothing here is real. 
Yeah, at one point we'll have a cat, and like when that cat first showed up, my wife's like, "Did they just put a real cat in this?" I'm like, "I'm pretty sure that's CGI." That cat moves so real. Yes, it's very good. They've gotten to a point where they don't need to improve, so the devils are now in the details, and you can really see. I mean, I saw Moana in theaters, and I thought it looked good, and a couple of things impressed me, but nothing compared to Toy Story. Yeah, I mean, you want it to still have the sheen of the cartoonishness of the original. You would never want it to get so photorealistic that it feels like we're looking at actors and not animation. We want it to feel like animation, but they have brought it ever so much closer to that gray line that divides the mediums. They've also improved... In my mind, it's an improvement. Woody's movements. I saw it noticeably right here in the beginning. I felt, like you mentioned, they redesigned all the character models for three. And Woody, his arms were loose, his legs were loose. And he was just reminding me of Kermit the Frog with the floppiness of everything. Here, he's tightened up. He's moving more like I would expect an action figure. They're going to call him a ragdoll in this movie. But... I felt like his movements were more refined and controlled. Yeah, and he's the one that's moving down there. It gets the window slammed in him. He does save RC, but doesn't get up into the bedroom himself. He sees Bo taken away. It just so happens, I guess because it's a dark night, this new person has a child that is also afraid of darkness and thunder and storm. And so Bo can do for this new child what she did for Molly. It's what we like to see when we pass on our thing. And Woody has an opportunity to go with her. Woody actually could have gotten in that box. There was room for him to go as well. And he makes a choice when he hears Andy's voice that he is Andy's toy. Yeah, he starts to go in the box. He starts to move towards that box. And then Andy's looking for him. Andy's panicked. Where's Woody? And I'm going to argue there is a reading to this film where, you know, it's for kids because it's talking toys. But this is a, for adults. Like, they are talking about adult stuff. Come away with me. You know what? He's fine now. Come get in the box with me. These feel like almost adult relationships that are being disguised with funny talking toys. But it does feel like more mature material they're, they're going to get at. I agree completely. I think we're looking at obsolescence, retirement, and relationships. I mean, there's a lot of different things I feel are tackled here. And they don't always make sense together, but it's certainly adult themes like we've seen before. And it, it starts right here. Yeah. How long does Andy need Woody for? And we're going to get a montage at the beginning that's going to show Andy playing with them and Woody in his glory days. But you said what you'd like to have happen with your toys is they go to another child and it helps them. Do you think Andy, if he came back after his freshman year of college and was like, I want to just see how you're playing with my toys, would he be happy with what Bonnie has done with Woody? Because, I mean, Andy made her promise that she would take good care of them. Andy wanted to take Woody with him. I gotta think Andy would be upset that his favorite toy of his whole life ended up gathering dust bunnies and his accessories given to other toys. I mean, Andy could have sold this for a lot of money on eBay. We know that from Newman in part two. He gave it to this girl and this girl treats him like trash. Are we talking about Andy or are we talking about Arnie? <laughs> I mean, I think, <laughs> I think you're revealing yourself in the way that you look at toys as well. You don't like the way children play with toys. You want to present 
serve them. No, not at all. I'm legitimately asking, how do you think Andy would react? Yeah, she's enjoying them. I mean, she's getting the same kind of love out of the experience he did. If you don't care about all the pieces staying together. I will say when Bonnie comes and she's like, okay, you're going to be the mayor and you're going to be the banker and you're going to be the sheriff and then closes that door and Woody is left behind. I'm like, I actually had a physical reaction. I'm like, oh my gosh, what? It was shocking because he's always been the star. So like just looking at this as a franchise, like that is a shocking moment. But as I look at this film... Again, these toys, to me, they've always just been characters to discuss existential themes and and psychological profiles. In this one, I think they take a different role. And I would argue that there is a reading that these toys are a stand-in for parents. Oh, yeah. There is so much talk about, oh, you have a kid? I want a kid. They're always talking about having kids or wanting kids. So for me, this is that moment where, as a parent, your child, and they're young, they always want to be around you. And one day, no, I want to go off and do my own thing. I'm in a growing uh, human and I want to explore and and maybe I don't have that tie that's as strong. And like, as a parent, you are just crushed. Like, how can this child wanting to go off and play by themselves crush me this hard? And like, this is a one of many moments in this film like that. Yeah. I find Woody to be the ultimate helicopter parent, actually. Yes, that was my theme. I'm like, oh, this is about helicopter parents and walk away and your kids will be all right without you. Yeah, you know what? I almost see him more as a grandparent than a parent, but we'll get there. I mean, I, I think that he is mentoring someone to be the mentor to a child, but we'll get to Forky in a minute here. <laughs> yes, just here in the beginning, it is a stunner, but it makes total sense. I mean, children and gender, they tend to imprint on genders that they identify with. Why wouldn't she be more attractive to Jesse the cowgirl than she would be to Woody the cowboy. I can't believe it, but what you're saying is very controversial these days. That's fine. I welcome the controversy. I'm not saying everyone feels that way. I'm saying that that is commonly understood that girls like to play with girl dolls and boys like to play with boy dolls. Doesn't have to be that way. And I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. I think it makes perfect sense that she would... Children like to put themselves into the toys. Again, one of the things about the early Star Wars toys is they were pretty featureless. And so you could project your own features onto them in many ways. They didn't look actor realistic. And so you were able to pretend, I am Han Solo. I am Luke Skywalker. What little girl wouldn't want to be the sheriff instead of just the sheriff's friend, you know? So giving that badge to Jesse makes perfect sense for a girl. But did you guys know the other characters in that closet? Yeah. I recognized a lot of those toys. I had them. <laughs> I, I had to look. I mean, I did I recognize them from looking at them? It would be hard to know from the voice. But what they've essentially put in this closet is comedians that have been also shuttled off to the closet, but are responsible for the kinds of humor we're enjoying in Toy Story movies, like Carol Burnett or Cheryl Burnett, as she's called. Melephant Brooks, it's the elephant. Carl Rhinoceros, that's a pretty easy one to guess. And Bitey White is Betty White as a teething ring. The only one whose voice I caught, I noticed Mel Brooks's voice. I've watched a lot of Mel Brooks movies in my life. But the others, Betty White didn't sound like Betty White to me. You know, it didn't jump out. She wasn't doing her Rose Nyland Golden Girls voice. And I don't know that I'd be able to pick Carl Reiner in a game of To Tell the Truth. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, that's what happens. I mean, it kind of sets the theme. It's not that we don't value all of these people. It's that their day is done. The focus shifts. We can't control it. You can't 
stay popular forever. No one is going to be the number one superstar forever. Eventually, the torch passes, and in the era of Bonnie, he is not to be played with. He has gone from number one toy to Dust Bunny. And I've listened to the score of this on Amazon Music. When he's left in the closet, I swear I hear some notes of When She Loved Me from part two just mingled into the score. I didn't catch it in the movie, but I caught it later when listening to the CD. And what's interesting about Woody, though, because we've seen this scenario, you called it out, Toy Story 2 with Stinky Pete and with Lotso Huggins. Like, is Woody going to go that way? No, he's very clingy. Like, Bonnie's going off to kindergarten orientation, and he's like, I got to go with her. I did it for Andy. I got to do it for her. I got to ask, kindergarten orientation is a thing? You'd actually take your kid to it once, and then you can go on a road trip for a week? (laughs) My wife was flipping out because she is an elementary school teacher. Yes, orientation is a thing where you go and you meet the other parents. Like, the parents just don't drop you off in the classroom and then go off somewhere while you sit by yourself and are ignored. Yeah, no, I I was judging this teacher. I definitely felt Miss Wendy should have done a lot more to help this child integrate with the others. I had to calm my wife down. She almost walked out. She was so upset by this. (laughs) I just remember my first day of kindergarten, and I remember being upset. Even though I'd gone to preschool, I remember being a little bit scared that my mom was dropping me off. I was four freaking years old. I'm at this big school for the first time. I don't know any of these kids, and I remember the feeling that Bonnie is going through here of seeing your mother walk away and leave you there alone. Of course, what I later found out is all the parents hid in the bushes outside the school just (laughs) waiting to see which child would have a breakdown and need to go home that day, and my mother was no different. But yeah, I remember that feeling, so I didn't ever think anything of the parents just dropping her off. She is at school. Yeah, it's orientation, though. It's not the first day. They got a week of summer left. Yeah, and the point is that we need to establish that she isn't mingling well. For whatever reason, other kids approach her only to take her art supplies away off her table, (laughs) and she doesn't have the confidence to go introduce herself, assert herself into these groups. She is just going to sit by herself. Thank goodness that Woody tagged along in that backpack, and he can rustle up something from the trash that she will turn into her new friend. I guess Bonnie would be Generation Z. Z. Is that after the millennials? Mm -hmm. Like, this does feel like, you know, I look at my girls, and yeah, this is YouTube culture. Like, we'll remix stuff. We'll take stuff and just throw it out there. And here's this weird little, I don't need expensive equipment to make a movie or anything like that. I'll just get whatever trash is around me and put it together. And this will be the greatest thing ever. I do feel like Forky, who she puts together and will come alive, really does tap into that where think about Spielberg. And he's like, this is how a movie should be worthy of an Oscar nomination. And like, oh, you sound like an old man. That's not how movies are made anymore. Let's move on and do it a new way. And so, yeah, for Bonnie to create this toy, it does feel like it's tapping into something there. And I'm just going to put my cards on the table. Tony Hale was hysterical and possibly my favorite character in Arrested Development. I've seen him do quite a bit of other stuff. He actually has a lot of range, which I wouldn't expect. And I love Forky. Forky wins me over. I went in with my eye askance at the $30 spork, but he is great in this. He just wins me over instantly with just trash. 
<laughs> Again, because I have young children, there is this whole thing with depression memes. I guess it's the cool thing to like be proud that you're depressed. My eight year old, like something sad will happen and she'll just go like, hello, darkness, my old friend. Like that, because she saw trolls. So she knows that now and she just knows to associate that with this depression. So yeah, this Forky who's just, I'm trash and I just want to jump in the trash and be done with it. Like he doesn't have a very high opinion of himself. If there is an element of that, but there's also a return to the womb quality. I mean, there's a, I don't want to develop. He was formed in that. The waste can is essentially a uterus. And so it's comforting. He talks about it being a warm place for him. It's not just that he has no self-worth. It's also, he feels protected in such a thing. I'll say this. I thought that was clever. It is a little overplayed. We get a lot of that in the next 20 minutes. Tony Hale, I know him mostly for Veep. He plays a similar kind of suck-up character where he's always trying to do right by the vice president and always looking foolish for it. And yeah, he's just kind of the comedic sidekick that is good sparingly. You wouldn't want to make a whole movie about him or Forky. And yet I thought that this Forky was going to be like the main thing. All the advertising, all the marketing, Forky, 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 Forky. He more or less becomes a MacGuffin in this film. Like, I mean, he is the center of attention because that's Bonnie's like favorite new toy. But this isn't really a story about him. They resolve his conflict at the beginning of the second act when he's walking around with Woody. Yeah, that felt like a rewrite. I thought for sure they were going to talk about the difference between a toy made out of factory as opposed to one made out of imagination. That they would actually talk about that and what could Forky represent but you're right Forky is 20 minutes of anxiety a one joke thing about jumping into a trash can and then it's just about Forky is going to be the one thing to help Bonnie get through kindergarten and thus we have to get her home it happened like almost at the 30 minute mark and it felt to me like somebody might have had a script for a ABC Toy Story special episode about Forky because it does feel like the first 30 minutes could be an entire movie of Forky's arc of trash all the way to oh I'm Bonnie's trash and loving the you know because he loves trash it's warm it's comforting so for all of that of course I do have my questions like when Woody is wrangling him first of all I think this is the first time we see Woody use a lasso right he literally ropes Forky at one point well it's his uh, pull strength Oh, I thought he used a lasso. Yeah, I mean, he used it like a lasso, but no, he's just using what's attached to him. And I loved it when Forgy was running for the big... They stop at a McDonald's. I don't understand this RV trip they're on because they don't seem to get too far out of town, but they've stopped at three rest areas in a McDonald's and Woody ends up getting, like, I guess Bonnie took McNugget sauce cups and shoved them on his feet. <laughs> I got to correct you. This is not a McDonald's. This is actually a callback. You know, I talked about in those shorts, small fry where the Happy Meal toy comes home. This is that same. There are so many Easter eggs in this film. If you want a unified Pixar universe, this is the film that ties everything together. You're going to get callbacks to that. B&L batteries, we'll see. B&L is the megalo corporation that destroys the earth and Wally. -E. Like there are so many references here. So sorry, just had to correct you. Not a McDonald's. Well, apparently this place sells McNuggets. <laughs> But I do have to ask, though, Forky does not want to be a toy. Forky shouldn't be a toy. He should be trash. And I'm kind of glad he's happy there so that every time I throw away a plastic utensil, I don't have my heartstrings pulled that this fork is really sad that I'm pitching it. But why does he play dead like all the toys do when humans come around? If he isn't thinking of himself as a toy, why would he play toy rules? Well, because spoons don't run around. I mean, because he understands the role of a utensil. 
But I don't think all the utensils come to life when people leave. I think it was a big thing. He's like Frankenstein's monster here that she made. She took various parts from other things. And all, I mean, at the end, we're going to see Forky get a mate. And the mate's like, why am I alive? Yeah. Yeah, Arnie, that's exactly what I was going to say. They answer your question at the very end of this movie. I don't know. <laughs> it's a movie. This is also a callback to Randy Newman, although I did not recognize that that was his voice. You didn't? He is now sounding like some blues legend. He's dropped several octaves now. He does not sound like himself anymore, singing, I can't let you throw yourself away. Uh, it's just his cadence. <laughs> oh, I knew that was a Randy Newman yeah. immediately. And I mean, honestly, I got to say, we've done four movies in four and a half weeks. I'm a little tired of You Got a Friend in Me. You know, when they started this movie with it, I'm like, really? It's been like 30 years you're still playing that song. That's the song of the series. They'll always have it and they always should, just to set the mood. That was right to set that opening montage. Here are the new song. It doesn't sound good. And eventually he'll pass the last song off to a new country artist. So I think he might be saying goodbye to the series as well. But he gets one little musical moment here trying to dramatize this RV trip and this spork constantly trying to commit suicide or return to the womb, however you want to see it. And I obviously, I put it in the plot summary. I love that he jumps out the RV window. And in case you feel bad for him, he's like... I'm litter! Freedom! And I just love that, like, if he can't go to the trash, he can be litter on the road and he's happy about it. Yeah, but this is where I'm getting to my idea that it's grandparenting and not parenting. Parenting is what he has been doing. I've been taking care of a child. Andy was my child. Grandparenting is, Forky, I'm going to teach you what it is to be a toy so that you can take care of this child that loves you. I don't know why she loves you more than me. She should love me. I'm really cool. Andy loved me. But if Bonnie loves you, I need you to respect that and realize all the things that you need to do to give her the emotional support she needs. Okay, maybe, again, because I'm a parent and I have a child that is entering the dreaded teen years. To me, Woody, he will do anything. And we'll see that. He will do anything to make this child happy. And yeah, even if it's your kid, they have that weird friend. And you're like, why are you, that person is weird. But hey, I love you. You're my child. I'm not going to judge you. Be friends. I want them to feel free to like what they want to like. And as long as that's not, not something that's going to endanger themselves or others, I have to accept that, that they're not going to be a duplicate of me. And I, I see Woody, this is why I call him the parent. Like, it's just like, okay, I, I got to convince this weird thing. I don't know why Bonnie likes this weird toy, but she loves it. It's her favorite thing. So I, I got to make this relationship work but it's a replay of the buzz lightyear thing right it's woody only he's taking it better this time but woody is no longer top toy there's a new top toy that's come into his life that he doesn't know how to deal with that does not exist on the same plane as all the other toys buzz thought he was a real astronaut here for he thinks he's trash yeah, I definitely think there's that. And I do think that on some level, Woody hopes by working through Forky that she'll eventually recognize him. I mean, he, he Bonnie did write her name on his boot. And I do think that he has some hope. I mean, we saw it in the closet. You're going to pick me someday. Maybe I'll never be top sheriff, but you will want to play with me. And he did have one moment when she's reaching for Sporky in the middle of the night and he's diving into the wastebasket. She ends up cuddling with Woody that, I think, was exactly something that he hadn't felt in a long time and, and had been searching for. 
the thing I like about Forky in addition, though, is I start to feel bad for him. I'm like, you're not trash, little guy. You have worth. It's pulling <laughs> at my heartstrings that this little fork feels like he should be out on the streets instead of loved. The way that Tony Hale voices it and the way it's animated with those googly eyes that are missized and the Mr. Bill-like mouth. I don't even know what she made that mouth out of. Clay. Yeah, clay mouth yeah. and pipe cleaners. I remember pipe cleaners for the hands. Mm -hmm. So I was feeling bad for him. I was too, but it was a lot. We can all admit it was a lot of Forky and then it was almost nothing of Forky. It was a strange emphasis of him being very important in this first 25 minutes and then him just being the thing they got to get back. My biggest, it's not that big, but the biggest ding for this film is, you know, my problem with Incredibles 2 was you took off all this time, a decade, over a decade, to come up with a sequel, and then you just gender-swapped the first movie. Now it's about the mom going on secret missions instead of the dad. That's the best you could do. This one feels overstuffed with ideas, and maybe that's because there is rewrites and old script parts left in. But yeah, we got Forky going on right here. That whole issue is going to get resolved, and now we're going to move over to... Bo Peep, like Woody and Forky, they go walking into town and Woody notices that lamp that Bo Peep was a part of in an antique store and has to go look for her. And I do know this much about the Lassiter version. It was always going to be about bringing Bo Peep back in, but they had written it more like she was there in the window and she was afraid to not be an antique. She was afraid to get back out into the world. You know, she had a sob story about what happened to her in between the last movie and now. And so it would be mansplaining. These boy toys telling her that, you know, her place is outside of this stuffy old antique store. And instead, they've decided they're going to create a Bo Peep that's much more dramatic, much more challenging to Woody himself. What you're describing sounds to me like a replay of Jesse from Toy Story 2 as well. The afraid to get back out there having been once loved and all of that. So, yeah, I'm glad they didn't repeat that much of themselves. But, yeah, this pacing, it reminds me, I haven't watched The Simpsons in like 10, 12 seasons. But when I watched it, I'd always noticed that the first act of The Simpsons would be... Has nothing to do with the rest. Yeah, it's very strange and tenuous how what happens in the first act sets up the story that happens in the next two acts and it was something I caught that back when I was in writing classes I'm like this is really strange writing that you don't actually set up your story you set up events that kick off the story instead and that's how I feel this movie is is the first 30 minutes is so much about Forky and then oh while I was taking Forky back I happened to walk past an antique store and I'm going to be so taken by seeing a lamp that could be the lamp with Bo Bo's not even on it that I'm going to take Forky, who's now finally ready to go to Bonnie after the two of them bond and the whole carry me, which again, I, I have a dog that refuses to walk and makes me carry her. So I appreciated that scene. But yeah, now we're in a different movie. Yeah, you could have done this really with any character. You could have had one of the Martians fall out the window. Woody would have gone after anyone that fell out that window. I'm so pissed. The Martians don't even get a single line in this. My favorite freaking character. <laughs> Maybe the next one, you know, that's the way it works. If you were a Bo Peep fan, you really got screwed by Toy Story 3. But now we're going to get a lot of that here in the antique store. I feel like they do play with their expectations because we're always waiting for that villainous toy. And Gabby Gabby's going to show up with Benson, the ventriloquist dummy. I love how they animate the Bensons, like the way they walk. They're just like these floppy bodies and their heads are too heavy and are always falling side to side. 
And ventriloquist dummies have been getting the rap for a long time. I think oh, yeah. for half the audience, they know it from Goosebumps. Like, there was a very famous <laughs> yes. Goosebumps with the evil puppet. Before that, in my era, it was that Anthony Hopkins magic movie. Mm-hmm. It was a kid's toy. I do remember getting Sears catalogs where you get a Charlie McCarthy ventriloquist. They wanted kids to learn how to throw their voice and make their puppet talk. Kids, apparently in one decade, did think that this was charming, but never in my lifetime. Yeah, I actually saw some Reddit posts where it's like, they ripped off Goosebumps. I'm like, guys, you don't even remember back to Buffy the Vampire Slayer when they ripped off the Anthony Hopkins movie. Oh, my Lord. And when they're there, they're like pushing this baby carriage past the Victrola. What's it playing? The music from The Shining. Yes. yes, I love this. Midnight, the stars and you. It's just that perfect setting. I turn to my wife and I'm like, you've always been here. You know, just going back to that old timey, how you think of Jack Nicholson ending that film and that picture that happened long before the film took place and they're in an antique shop. You know, they had that rug in the first one and here's another callback with using that music I love it yeah we definitely know that Woody and Forky are in trouble before they do because she sees the back of him he is standing by a mirror she sees his drawstring and we can see her eyes just light up from that moment she's asking him a million questions step into my carriage oh yeah we don't need for you to get back to your kid no one has a kid here anymore and eventually she comes clean you have a voice box I need a voice box and this is true. Those pull strings, they had a little plastic record in them. I know this because I had a friend with the pull string Alf toy and its voice box finally broke. So I was allowed to like pull it out and take it apart to see how it worked. And there is a little plastic record in there that's grooved. Wow. I never knew how that worked. I yeah. It was always curious to me that it worked without any electricity whatsoever. There are some cheats here with Woody and Buzz. They have way more sayings from their either pull string or button activation than they ever did before. Like Woody, He's always just talking about a snake being in his boot and that he's the sheriff. He's got all kinds of sayings now. And that is what saves him here is the marionettes. There's four of them. They could clearly outmaneuver them. But because this little girl and her mother walk in, Woody can pull that string, draw her attention, and suddenly she has a toy to take with her to the park. And what we don't realize is this is the object of Gabby's affection. So the fact that Harmony would see this talking doll and immediately be like, Mommy, can I take it to the playground? That has to twist the knife in Gabby Gabby's heart even more. It's not a knife. It's a spork. And she's got it. That's her (laughs) angle is that at least I have Forky and we'll see her kind of grooming him of like, all right, well, let's keep this here. We know it's a valuable toy because a child has written on its foot. And when you have a child's name on your foot that makes you important, Woody will be back for this. And Gabby Gabby, I actually got confused. It wasn't until I was working on the plot summary that I realized Gabby Gabby was not a real toy. The real toy was called Chatty Cathy. Yep. Mm-hmm. I just got confused when watching the movie and thought Chatty Cathy was called Gabby Gabby, but they created their own license here, but with a similar look to her. Yeah, I think if you're going to make an evil toy, you best make something original. No, even a marketer of an old toy wouldn't want to see their... Again, we're going to get Combat Carl because Hasbro didn't want a G.I. Joe to get blown up by Sid in that first film, so they had to make up their own. I love it that Pixar is sticking to their guns, that they will not allow G.I. Joe now to do it. Yeah. Oh no, 
It's Combat Carl. It's always Combat Carl. Yeah, and I was a little too old for it, but I remember these fairy things, too, where you pull the string and they go flying up in the air. Like, that's what we see once we get to this park here. Woody is thinking that he just needs to get back to the antique store. And then I just, I love the way that it happens. He sees the sheep first. He's seen the lamp, but he isn't able to respond when he finally sees Bo because a child brings them together. Instead, they have to just play toy lay there and just look longingly and wait for the proper moment where they can finally express their emotions. It's what the element of romance is all about, sustained waiting. But it's a really touching scene to see them brought together and pining for each other in silence. She's gone a little bit Linda Hamilton here. She's, (laughs) oh, I would say, forget about Captain Marvel. You want girl power, like great cinematic girl power? It's all about Bo Peep for me. Like, independent woman, kicks ass, better than the dudes, like tapes up her arm if she rips it off. I love Bo Peep in this film. Yeah, she's porcelain. It's worth pointing out this is a lamp that wasn't made to be battered around the same way that a plastic toy would have been. But yeah, she doesn't seem to mind. What is Woody's worst fear being lost is her fantasy. She has enjoyed her seven years out on her own. She escaped from that antique shop. She didn't need some other toy to tell her to do that. She's out here in this version and loving it and has even built like a car out of like, it looks like a plastic bottle or something like that. Now it looks like a skunk. This is the toy. (laughs) My wife wants this. She's like, if they make a Toy Story 4 skunk RC car, buy it for me. Like she wants to drive this around parks and terrorize people with it. Forget the spork. She'll pay whatever money this costs. Have this skunk car. I like the car. I do feel like there's a lot of newness here. Like, it was telling to me that Woody didn't even know the name of the sheep. He was like, happy to see Bo. I love you. But I'm like, oh, yeah. Hi, guys. Who are you again? Like, I really only like the chick. That's what I was for. And then, yeah, we have some Combat Carls popping out of there. I feel so bad for Snow Patrol Combat Carl. <laughs> Woody doesn't return the high five. I, I, aw. And neither do the other Combat Carls. He's left no. hanging twice. <laughs> Way to beat the odd soldier. They're so happy that he has a kid. Again, that is such a rare thing now. That's the new vibe of this one is like the world without a master. What does that look like? Retirement. Yeah, being a grandparent. Like, what would that look like? I do feel like they have one too many new characters here. Do we really need Giggle McDonald? dimples. Polly Pocket? Yeah. I couldn't get a bead on her, but this is the first of two instances where I feel Toy Story's being derivative. The way she moved, it felt like they were trying to ape the Lego movie, like with just certain, the adding of sunglasses and things. Yeah, those Polly Pockets, they're pretty close to Lego, like they don't have a whole lot of articulation. So again, I felt like it was going for that. It's similar to Lego people. I mean, I think she's here so that these two can explain what their lives were to the audience and, you know, someone that wasn't there. This is where Woody is like, I need your help, Bo, and you should be willing to do that. You help Molly get over her fear of the dark. I'm trying to help my new girl be able to tackle kindergarten. I don't think she'll be able to do that if she doesn't have Forky. Meanwhile, Buzz Lightyear is still in this movie, barely. (laughs) Tim (laughs) Allen did, what, about a day's worth of work, maybe, in the voice box? Yeah, I was shocked when Arnie said his name second. I, I guess he's still got a good agent, gets that second billing. Early contracts often mean a lot, but I was thinking about what you said, Stuart, that Buzz really hasn't had a lot to do since that first movie where it did feel like it was 
You know, I used to think the song You've Got a Friend in Me was actually about Buzz and Woody, that the two of them became friends in that and became endless friends. Now I think that song was all about Woody and Andy and Buzz just happened <laughs> to be around along with Slinky Dog and all the rest. It does feel like Buzz is a punchline in this one. You know, he gets this whole talk from Woody. You got to listen to your inner voice and your, your conscience. And Buzz thinks that's pushing his button and just doing whatever his voice chip tells him to do. But he is definitely a supporting character here. The new toys are taking the spotlight with the exception of Woody 100%. Bonnie's new toys are going to talk a lot more than Slinky Dog and Mr. Potato Head. I, I didn't even hear Mr. Potato Head talk. I guess he did because I read Don Rickles had signed a contract before his death. And so they were able to piece together his dialogue out of promotions he'd done and commercials and other projects. He might have had one line I was listening for because I read that. Oh, they used old dialogue of his to create new stuff. But yeah, Mr. Potato Head does not say much. No, it's all to the Triceratops and the Unicorn and things there. And out here, it's going to be to Bo. All the old toys really are becoming old toys that are, I guess, ready for goodwill. Yeah, and that feels kind of appropriate. You know, we saw the torch passed at the very end of the last film. And so, yeah, here's Toy Story for a new generation. We got new toys and those, Stuart, like you're saying, if there's themes of growing old and retiring and grandparents, yeah, these ones are literally being retired in front of our eyes and the new class is coming in. Yeah, the age of Andy is over. This is the age of Bonnie and Bonnie will decide what is important, what is not. And you're right, her toys and new toys are important, probably partly so that they can sell new toys to actual <laughs> audience goers. Let's be cynical about it. Obviously, you make more by selling them something they don't have than a new version of something they already have five of. I mean, who needs another Mr. Potato Head if you bought the the other series versions of it. Well, is the packaging different? Yeah, of course it is. <laughs> okay, they, then. They're going to put that four on there. It's totally different. <laughs> but anyway, Buzz, his conflict is that he feels like his conscience is going to come to him as a literal voice when he punches that button on his suit. And so he's always interpreting these canned lines about Space Ranger things as some kind of call for a response in the moment. And in this case, how to get out of the carnival and uh, get to his friend. It's like literalizing fortune cookies. <laughs> We saw that in the first one where he believed he could really fly and through luck, he was able to. And he tries that again here when his voice tells him to get over to that antique shop and he bounces off a ride and ends up next to a toilet. A guy walks out and we see a tattoo. I'm like, oh, is this going to be Sid? Are they going to keep dumping on Sid as he walks out of this porta potty? It is a Pizza Planet tattoo on his leg. I guess that Pizza Planet truck has appeared in every Pixar film, but I guess it's not Sid. No, it's Axel. It's uh, voiced by Bill Hader. Okay, they gave him a name. I didn't catch it. Yeah, yeah. He's a carny who, you know, like many carnies that I've seen when I go to state fairs, <laughs> they're really not into this. They're not having any fun at all. Headphones on, eyes down. He's going to miss a lot. And so he just figures this was one of the toys that he didn't pin up there when he set up his booth that morning. And so now Buzz is part of the prize list. Well, I got that he knew that wasn't a prize because he actually goes, oh, a Buzz Lightyear. I think he recognizes it as a Buzz and I just think he thinks it would be a top prize. Mm. And here we're introduced to even more new characters because we don't have enough. <laughs> Bunny and Ducky by Key and Peel. Oh my God, I need to go back and watch all the Key and Peel shows because these guys have me busted. Oh, they're all on Hulu. If you have Hulu, like, yes, watching Key and Peel episodes as a family is like one of the things we do pretty normally. Like, we love Key and Peel in this household. 
Yeah, I like Key and Peele. I don't think they're best featured in this movie. I do feel like Buzz's whole storyline is just weaker. They are given a similar message, but I don't think it lands as loudly. And that is, they are very comfortable being the top carnival prizes. They'll give some lip service to saying that they've been tied up on that wall for three years, never been won. Yeah, because those things are rigged. You can never win them. And we see a girl trying to win those prizes. It sure looked a whole lot like a tween age boo from Monsters, Inc., if you've seen that. But they're stuck in the same way that Woody is in a situation that they're really not benefiting from. They think that they're top dogs by hanging up there, but really their life is in limbo and they'll be so much better once Buzz snaps his lid down on them based on his inner voice and they all fall off the wall and go have an adventure together. They feel very out of place to this Toy Story movie. We're going to get fantasy sequences with them and they're disruptors. (laughs) I worried because they were heavily featured in a trailer. There was one trailer that was just the two of them trying to remember to infinity and beyond and it was like to infinity and a pond and I really I was afraid that we were gonna have like the wheelie and skids of the Toy Story universe because they'd just be too gregarious and too wisecracking to fit in with everybody else because the thing about the toys is they took themselves seriously and now you bring in two wiseacres they're like kind of murderous and Buttercup the unicorn like oh I love Buttercup in this one she or he is always trying to get Bonnie his dad thrown in jail like there's some malicious toys in this film it feels like they've written the unicorn to be more like the actor would be in any of his other roles that jeff garland usually being sardonic and a little mean-spirited yeah i love that the unicorn's always like we could frame dad for a crime so he goes to jail i'm smiling Yeah, they're going to just be tag-alongs. They will join Buzz, who will join Bo and Woody atop the tent. And the next act of this movie is really about busting out Forky. Are they a helpful element? Well, they got a lot of daydreams. All their suggestions, they have lots of different ideas, and they all end with dive-bombing the old woman's face. (laughs) I mean, that's hysterical to me that they are this violent. And the third one... It's the rule of comedy, right? Where Rule of threes. Well, rule of three, but also a joke goes on so long like the aristocrats. It's funny, and then it goes so long and you're like, okay, it's not funny anymore. And then it comes back around and it's funny again. Yeah, I, I love that long plan they have. To, <laughs> and this is all to get a key. They need to get a key to open up a chest because that's where Gabby is with Forky. Yeah, Key and Peel have to get the key. And I love how the Bensons guard that cabinet, too. Like, you got four Bensons, one on each side of this cabinet, and their heads just spinning around like surveillance cameras. And this is when we kind of learn what Gabby is all about, right? Up to this point, we thought, oh, she's evil, poor Forky, and all of that. But she does get this moment where Harmony returns to the store. It's tea time. And so we see that Gabby has this little golden book version of her life where she gets to have tea with little girls. It's her life aspiration. But because she has a defect, she's never been able to voice it. She's never been able to tell this girl, take me off the shelf and I can have tea with you. And so are we softening towards her? Is she less scary? Are we anticipating that this is going to be a more nuanced villain at the very least? Yeah, I thought at first she was totally going to be psychotic, especially with those dummies. I mean, I just thought we were going right back to Lasso Huggins. And now I'm like, you know, she's just 
a little obsessive love struck. Well, the way I took it, you know, she's obsessed with this Gabby Gabby book and it's told her what the ideal life is. And, you know, people say, oh, don't let your little girls look at Cosmo or these fashion magazines. It gives them unrealistic expectations. Don't let them play with Barbies. And I, I do feel like, yeah, that's kind of her story is she's been given one image that she's supposed to live up to that. So she thinks that's the ideal and she's going to be crushed when she finds out it's not. Yeah, well, there's that. But also, I just think, yeah, she sat on the shelf this whole time. Since 1958, no one has ever played with her. She's kind of like Stinky Pete in that way, just never been touched, but longing to. Pete turned away from it and said, I don't want anyone. And she is believing that if she can get the defect repaired, all her problems will be solved. But this really felt to me like so many low self-esteem people who have a crush on other people. Like, they always feel there's something about them that makes them not good enough. And so they're like, have this whole... I'm trying not to say the word obsession, but it's kind of obsessive with this girl and possessive of this girl. And they feel like they could get it if. I think that's what we're seeing here with Gabby Gabby and Harmony is that kind of relationship where if only I could talk, I'd be good enough for her. Yeah, I think there is something to that. I, I think she perceives that she has a defect that her voice box doesn't work and therefore people think that if only I could lose that 20 pounds I could get a, a woman to love me or whatever quite frankly it's how a lot of Disney princesses work I mean Cinderella could only get the guy if she had a nice dress for the ball I mean there is usually something attributed to them going from rags to riches and yeah, you can obsess on that thing. It's easy to do when you believe you're deficient in the thing that denies you happiness. And you can often see people who do take it down to a single thing, whether or not that's actually the thing. It could be the real problems, their personality, but they're like, if only I had a nose job. I personally think Gabby Gabby comes across as creepy, especially with all of her Bensons around, that the voice box is the least of her issues. <laughs> yeah, I, again, they're going to set her up as a Lotso Huggins, but she's going to end up different. And I appreciate that with this film is that's the expectation and they're going to subvert that and it's going to go a different direction. But at this point, you know, it's all about getting Forky. Yeah, she's going to lay a trap. She's going to play hide and seek. She's going to put Forky in her box. She knows that they're going to try to get in there and Woody screws it up. There's this cat prowling around. They call it a dragon. It shreds stuffed animals. And Woody races into action without listening to Bo. We had some face-to-face -face with Benson. Creates this whole chase. And Bo ends up losing her sheep because of it. The sheep latch on to one of the dummy's butts. Won't let go. <laughs> and so it's an example of the rashness of men rushing in, causing more problems than clarity. Yeah, and you also got like, those ideas of mansplaining there where Bo is experienced on being on her own and getting around. Like, you should trust her. But no, Woody, he always rescues toys. Come on, I know what to do. Even though he's unfamiliar with the situation and the people there, you do get that subtext there about the battle of the sexes. And hey, why couldn't you just trust Bo? She knows this area. She lives there. Yeah, I guess if we're gender stereotyping, men are hot-headed. They are impulsive. We've seen a recent trend of movies that are calling that into question. We've had a whole lot of movies that say that's what makes a hero. I do feel like I'm hearing a lot of films lately. I'm seeing it almost on a weekly basis <laughs> where we're really asking ourselves, do we like people that rush in without thinking? 
In this case, it didn't work out so well, and Bo has a better plan anyway. She knows Duke Kaboom. Yes, and we go into a speakeasy, or maybe literally a toy cantina. It's inside a pinball machine, but we do get Kenner, Obi-Wan Kenobi, trying to chop off Kenner Walrus Man's arm, like in the cantina scene in Star Wars. And the score, again, if you listen to it, it's not a sound-alike or anything, but there are certain rhythms to it and certain notes that made me think of the cantina theme. Yeah, I definitely think they're referencing that. You can also see a few other antique toys, including the tin toy from that 88 Pixar Oscar winning short. They, he's Timmy. He's the first one that they meet. Uh, yeah, I thought it was interesting that the original Toy Story idea was for that tin toy and a ventriloquist dummy to hit the road. We do get those elements both in this film. Mm-hmm. But we're really there to see Duke Kaboom, Keanu Reeves. He's really having a moment. He is. He's known as that meme guy by my children because apparently he's just a meme now because he's so positive and I guess he did some big video game performance and people just love this guy now. He's the dude to be. Wow, okay. I mean, he kind of always was the dude, and he's always played <laughs> off of that image of, I never thought of him as Canada's greatest stuntman, but I do think that, yeah, kind of a empty suit. What we're going to see here is that he is a toy that I had. Evil Knievel was the daredevil that they're really referencing from the 1970s, who jumped the Grand Canyon and did all sorts of daring do on a motorbike. My action figure, he had a parachute connected to him, so it was almost like they knew he wasn't going to make the jump. <laughs> he had a failsafe on there. Here, this guy, he can supposedly make the jump when you watch the TV commercial, but he's tortured because his Quebecois child, Rejean, uh, <laughs> rejected him when he couldn't even go through the loop of fire. And that's funny because those toy commercials always lie. I remember those old Star Wars Kenner commercials were like, man... Things just looked amazing. The way kids had their backyards in those commercials. I wish I had all those rock formations and everything to play with my toys on. Don't get me started on those <laughs> manglors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you and the manglors. They've come up so much in this retrospective. They were the biggest lie. Yes, they lie <laughs> like motherfuckers. And again, I think what has made Toy Story successful is that it's funny just on that level of like knowing how toys work and commercials and all that. But because I see so many themes about parenting, I find Duke Boom really sad. Like, I feel like this is the dad, they get divorced and the kid kind of just blames him for the marriage falling apart and stays with the mom. And he has this real longing for this kid that, that he's been rejected by. And I don't know. I just feel like there's so many sad parents in this movie. There is, but I feel like this character is also underdeveloped. It feels like something they threw in maybe even last minute. I don't have enough time with Duke Kaboom to love him the way that, say, I loved Ken in the Toy Story 3. My issue with Kaboom, I actually really like the character, and I love what Keanu's doing with the voice, and yes, I Canada! But you know what? Again, it felt like a ripoff to me of Robot Chicken. The way he's posing on the bike, the way he's like instantly like a blur and then he's posed again. This is robot chicken animation. I'm like, you guys are Pixar. You guys started everything. What are... I don't know. I remember those evil Knievel dolls being able to do those poses. Is it just the way it's moving? Yes, the way it's moving. It's the way the material looks and the texture. But yeah, a lot of it has to do with the way they have animated his motions. And I do know they had other concepts. I know that in Lassiter's draft, there was going to be a Santa Claus that was like this weird survivalist Santa Claus that was like never go out. And his wishing a Merry Christmas was really about like get in the bunker and like stay with the toys. It sounded crazy. And who knows if that would have worked. It, all it tells me is they threw out a lot of what he had going and they went with something else here that kind of feels thematically similar 
but I don't connect with the whole Rajan thing. It just feels like a punchline and a one joke premise in the same way that Forky does. Yeah, like I said, I feel like there's too many ideas in this film and there's some that seem like good ones that could have been developed if they took center stage in a Toy Story film, but it's like, oh, it's just a one-off side joke and we'll put it there. And yeah, it feels like there's lots of opportunities where they could have taken the story. But unlike Forky and unlike Ducky and Bunny, I would not want even a Duke Kaboom short. I think he's perfect here for what he is, which is a gag and a plot device. But we get just enough of Rijon here to make me laugh. And yes, I Canada. And then I'm done with Duke Kaboom. Yeah, I I think they wanted a little more out of him. I think that they're hoping that they can tease him for future movies or use him. I mean, you get Keanu Reeves and I think you're expecting something more, but maybe not. Maybe it is fine to be a one-joke premise, but what I wish is at this point I felt like I should know a lot more about Forky's inner life. I felt like him talking to Gabby, whatever was going on inside there, that when they finally get to this spork that he should be changed or had some evolution. All we know that he's done is that he's ratted to Gabby. You know, he brags about, oh, I've known him my whole life, two days. I'll tell you everything about Woody so that Gabby can use that to work on Woody's head when this bust out doesn't work and they have to run from the cat. Speaking of working on the head, again, just a a subtle joke I loved is when Forky is brushing Gabby's hair, but he's using the wrong side of the brush. I didn't notice. (laughs) It's just, Forky is a special toy. I I think Forky's arc is done. And in fact, the movie will show us Forky's arc is done. Don't you think that's a mistake? Don't you want to know and love and have more to do with Forky? Yeah, if this is going to be about the retirement of Woody from being a toy and going off with Bo Peep and being lost toys, who's taking his place? We're going to see someone that takes his place at the end. It's not Forky, though. It does feel like this is Bonnie's most favoritist toy at this point. What makes him tick? What does he think of this new world? We're not going to get that. Yeah, no. I do think Forky was fun, but I think he's a limited character. So if you're going to have that kind of thing you're talking about, Stuart, we need a character deeper than a spork. I would challenge that by saying then write him better so that he can be a deeper character. Any character can be deeper if you dig deeper. These writers didn't spend enough time on Forky or decided Forky wasn't where they wanted to go. Quite literally, there's only so deep you can dig with a spork. It's true. I'm not a fan of the utensil, quite frankly. Awful utensil, but no, I think you could get ideas of gatekeeping and what is a real toy versus, you know, is it that it's manufactured by a major corporation or is it that something a kid makes and loves it? Like, there are ways you could explore those human emotions and existential ideas that Toy Story has done so well. They just choose to pretty much make him a MacGuffin, though. Yeah, and it should be about Woody. Don't get me wrong. If they're spending too much time on other characters, it'd be wrong. This is Woody's goodbye movie. We're going to find that out. And it would be wrong not to always keep him in the center spotlight. I appreciate that. They finally make a point of that. You know, when the second mission with Duke Kaboom fails, and that's kind of strange. We really thought that this would be the successful one, but it fails. The attitude is time to give up. You have done all that you can. The RV is going. Jesse has done all that she can. She poked holes in all the tires and the dad is repairing and patching them up. But pretty soon, Bonnie and her family are going to leave the RV park and he is putting the risk of all the toys missing out with Bonnie the more that he straggles here over the spork. 
And so it, it, what is this all about? It kind of comes to a head here where he admits it. This is all that I have to do. I don't have another purpose. My whole purpose was Andy, and I've tried to make it work with Bonnie, but Bonnie isn't even Andy. And so is he clingy or is he loyal? This is the first moment my wife started crying. You're talking about him giving up his voice box? Because, again, seeing this as a parent... We have a daughter who is a type 1 diabetic that that she's going to have that for the rest of her life unless there's some miraculous cure. But my wife is like, if I could rip out my pancreas and put it in her so she did not have to live with that, I would do that. I would do anything for this child to not have to suffer with this lifelong disability. So like seeing Woody, again, we're thinking mint condition, highly collectible toy, just ripping that stitching apart, pulling out that voice Uh, box. It bothers (laughs) me so much. I knew it would, but as a parent, yeah, you'd do anything. Oh, the ugly stitching in the back. He was minty. (laughs) You're really concerned about the conditions of these toys. There is that element, but of course, he's not doing this for Bonnie. He's going to end up being asked to do this for Gabby. Well, that's to to get for... And Gabby's just going to be able to appeal to him, to the higher logic. What I'm going to ask is, does this have anything to do with Time's Up and the push for gender parity that we've seen in the workplace and the conversation that we have about men in power and allowing more room for equity for women? I mean, if you think about it, Woody is being made to feel guilty for having had all that time with the child when she, who came around at the same time, had to sit on a shelf and not. And is it wrong that I want to have a few hours with the child with your voice box now that we've reached this moment in our lives? It feels like a conversation. I mean, I think of that movie, Glenn Close's The Wife. I mean, like that is kind of what we're discussing these days about men in power. And certainly in Pixar, that is a discussion about life after Lassiter. I don't know if I saw this as a gender thing. I saw it more as a conversation of retirement. You've had your day. You've done your job. Let me go and do mine. You know, I know they're both toys from the 50s, but Andy had worked, you know, a big career. He's had his job and he did it well and he was his job. He picked his job of taking care of kids over going with Bo when he wanted to do that before. And now Gabby is appealing to him saying, we both know the most important thing is the job gets done. That the kids have someone to play with. Your time has gone. I could have my time. Let me shine. And I think I see this in the workplace. I definitely see older people in the workplace who sometimes try to take credit or prevent opportunities for some of the younger people in the workplace. But Gabby's old too. Gabby is the same age as Woody. It's not just about young versus old. Oh, I agree. You can read it that way. It's about the man had the opportunity. When will it be the time for the woman to do that? It's fine that we want to explore that, but it's really provocative to say, I'm going to take your voice. Like, I can be like, yeah, we need to find a way to get you a voice. But to get you a voice, we have to take the voice away of the man. Which ultimately isn't going to work. And I thought this was going to get at a theme where, again, I don't think it's really developed because we had buzz. What is his inner voice? It's that sound ship that he keeps pressing and listening to. And Gabby thinks some pre-recorded sayings are going to make her life better. I thought there was going to be something about Woody. Like if these other toys thought this physical thing was their inner voice, their conscience, he doesn't need that. And he never listened to that. That never guided him. I thought they were going to get something with there. I don't think that's ever really gets developed, though. Here's what I'm saying. I mean, this could easily be read as castration. This woman is asking him to be castrated so that she can have power. 
Is that what the movement is asking? That's a fine point on the question. Is Are you saying women can only have a voice if men don't have the right to speak? Is that what the movement is asking? I think, wow, I can't believe that's in this movie. Well, in Pixar's response is, no, that's not going to work. You're, you're going to have to find your own voice or you're going to have to find different goals because ultimately that doesn't work for Gabby. She's going to get rejected by Harmony even when she gets that voice. Well, we all thought it was going to work and it didn't work out. But I think the lesson of it is you still keep trying and eventually with that voice box. And yet I do think you have to underline the gender of it. It is important to define that this is a man who has enjoyed all of the spotlight for all the years that a woman did not giving up his voice so that she can have this moment at this time that feels like a big comment on now it feels like what is happening with time's up and me too and sometimes it's not done willingly sometimes that voice box is being ripped out but there's a conversation that is happening and i think within pixar i when i look at that woody doll i see lassiter and when i look at that gabby i see the screenwriter and i think yeah the people at Pixar are asking, can we now move on? Whatever John has done, can we now move on from this and tell our stories outside of his umbrella? I get the whole taking the voice thing, but I don't see John Lasseter as Woody. Yeah, he created it. He is Woody. He's been the, the director of the first two, designed the doll, the reason why they went with cowboys, all of that. The fact that he's going to sail off in the sunrise here at the a year after Lasseter has left the company, I don't think is coincidence. I do think they're shaping that as a commentary. Stuart, I think you could get an A on that college paper. I think that reading is there. I agree. Again, I took this back as relationship things because when she goes and Harmony picks her up and they just toy with the audience here because she pulls her string. I'm Gabby, Gabby, and I love you. And Grandma says, what do you have? Oh, I found this old doll. You could take it home if you want. Beat, beat, nah, and throws it away <laughs> in a box. And then they're going to have that conversation with Woody and Gabby. And Woody's saying, there are plenty of kids out there. There's a girl named Bonnie. She's waiting for you right now. And Gabby's like, what if you're wrong? And Woody, if you sit on the shelf the rest of your life, you'll never find out. To me, that's dating, rejection, and getting back out there to date again. Well, yeah, I think this is an important thing, especially, you know, with the internet, just these groups find a voice and find other people like them. And the lesson is, rejection is not the end of the world. That if this was Toy Story 2 or 3, this is Stinky Pete, this is Lotso, Gabby goes evil now and tries to kill the other toys. No, she's like, oh, there's other people and I, I could, you know, they'll want me? Wow, this is a revelation. And she goes with it. This is a good lesson to learn that just because someone rejects you, that is not the end of the world. There are billions of people out there. You can find someone if you work on yourself and improve yourself and develop a healthy, non-toxic personality. People will like you. That's really where they try to bring the focus to as we head to the climax. Everything's about getting back to Bonnie, and Woody is still convinced that that's the most important thing. So they're trying to take Gabby Gabby with them. He's going to stay behind, give the pet pack to Gabby, while Buzz is going to head back in the backpack and do whatever he can with the other toys to keep that RV from driving away from town. And Forky gets back. I mean, again, Forky's story is so unimportant. Forky's in the backpack and gets back to the RV. And I have to say, after this... I feel like the rules of the toys not 
interacting and playing dead are being broken quite ruthlessly. I mean, Buzz already yelled to Bonnie, you forgot your backpack, which is what made them go in the RV to pick up the backpack at the antique store. But now Trixie is going to pretend to be the GPS. First of all, I know my GPS's voice. If my GPS changed voice, I think I would immediately notice (laughs) There's logistics, like how did they get the GPS to not talk and show the directions? It looks like it's lost a signal. I do feel maybe with the advancement in technology, they feel bolder and they could do more. And yeah, maybe the toys do a little bit too much. They're messing with the pedals of the RV. I do love, like they almost do get that dad arrested. Like Buttercup kept making that joke and it almost happens here. I just, yeah, he's like, dad is so going to jail. And and maybe he should because we had Jesse, like Buttercup's like, let's get the dad arrested. Jesse did pop that tire earlier in the day and it took the dad the entire day to change that. Like it is nighttime by the time he gets that spare on there. So he's not familiar with the RV. He does say it's a rental. And I imagine jacking an RV and changing its tire is a little bit more cumbersome, especially when you don't even know where the spare is. Call AAA, have them do it. Who uses AAA? anymore. I do. The dad wasn't even in Toy Story 3. We, we didn't even know that there was a father. Maybe he's new to the picture. It's, it's hard to say, but I felt for him because I this is what would happen to me if I ever decided to do an RV vacation. <laughs> but I do feel like they're really going broad with the humor here with that RV yeah, bouncing down the street, stopping and starting and then like making them turn it into the actual carnival where they're almost going to hit that carousel. And I'm finding it funny, but man, this is less sophisticated humor than I have ever seen in Toy Story films. It is. I I always liked, there's a lot of wordplay. I call it vaudevillian. I do mean that as a compliment. I do love that old style of just like wordplay mixed with some slapstick. And here, it just feels like a broader comedy to me. Yeah, the movie's just not as tight, and you can feel it rattling around here. It feels familiar. We know that we've reached the climax here, but everything just feels a little bit more sloppy. Case in point, Gabby Gabby just happens to run into a missing child in that one moment who, for, what, a minute, needs some comfort, and this is her chance to shine, and she gets that acceptance, and then immediately finds the security guard that puts her in connection with the parents. It's like, well... I like that you wanted to wrap it up. It feels a little tidy. At least Bunny and Ducky's winner, winner, chicken dinner rolled the baseball trick, which they were going (laughs) to use to attack the old lady, worked to get the little girl to find Gabby. Yeah, it was much more productive here. Yeah, but I thought that was really weird. The whole time you're talking about Gabby getting a voice, I figured they just pulled the pull string and the girl would hear that and turn around and pick up the doll. But no, it's Ducky and Bunny saving the day. Yeah, they need to do something. I mean, I I, honestly, I forget about Ducky and Bunny. Like, they (laughs) are never in my mind. They're not important. At least Forky is the thing that we know will make Bonnie happy. I don't know that Bonnie will like (laughs) Buddy and Ducky. But Bunny and Ducky have gone with Bo Peep at this point. They don't even want to be Bonnies. They want to be rogue road toys. And that is their evolution, is that they were promised children. They've been doing all of this with the idea that they were going to have a child. And they've really learned by watching Bo that you don't need to have a child to be happy. You can live your own life. You can live a life of being in the wild, retirement, childlessness, however you want to interpret that to mean to our real lives. I do think that they, yes, they're happy to sign up. And so is Woody. Are we shocked? Did we see this coming? We should have. We knew from the opening scene he's always been considering a life with Bo. He doesn't have Andy anymore. It's telling that this whole time Bonnie has been asking for Forky, she has never once asked for Woody. Yeah. And in fact, when 
she finds the backpack with Forky in it the one time, she just completely ignores the fact that Woody's there. She didn't even notice Woody was gone. I mean, I was not surprised. I saw that this was how this was going to go. It seemed really telegraphed to me from that first scene where Woody tried to get in the box and then we see Bo loving her life as a lost toy. I knew how this would end with Woody going off with Bo, but I gotta say, I don't know if that's the right choice. I feel like he's making the choice to be with the woman, but she lives a lifestyle he doesn't like, doesn't understand, and doesn't really want. He's changing a lot about himself just for one woman, and I don't know that that's the healthy choice. I don't know if he's changing. I think it, it may be accepting a reality. Again, because I saw a lot of subtext about parents in this film. You, Arnie, you called it out, helicopter parents. I think Woody is the ultimate helicopter parent. You just do anything to make Andy or Bonnie happy, even when he's getting ignored by Bonnie. And this is like, okay, you could step away. Like, the kid's going off to college now. You don't have to go talk to the dean and demand why did they get a B in History 101. You don't need to do that. Let them go. Make their own choices. Learn to be... A, an adult and yeah enjoy retirement and go off and explore things maybe you couldn't do because you were raising a family and so I think Woody has been conflicted we saw him almost get in the box he feels that pull but he's also always felt this duty but I think he feels Bonnie's in good hands now she has a, a new love of her life with Forky and maybe he could be a little selfish for once and I, because I saw this as an avatar for John Lasseter himself I, I saw this as Pixar saying yeah go be with your wife we're in the age of Bonnie now. All your best work is behind you. We're going to let some neglected toys, preferably some female toys, get some time in the spotlight that you've basked in for the last 30 years. Let's let new people take this company where it's going to go. It's not that different from saying goodbye to Tony Stark in the Marvel Universe. It's just time to say we're moving on. And just talking about this as a franchise, while... Yeah, it's the expected thing. Like, the right thing to do is have Woody go with Bo. That's what this movie set up. I do feel like that is still kind of a risk. Like, you are breaking up the core of this franchise, even though Buzz has never been the main character outside of Toy Story 1. Like, are you going to say he's going to carry this franchise now? Like, you're going to take the icon away and, and he's going to go off into the sunset? That is a risk. Were you crying? I mean, I guess that's the question. We all admitted last time it was a real emotional wallop to watch the film conclude it's sad to me that Woody is saying goodbye, but I don't feel tears streaming down my face. I feel, if anything, it feels like the right move for him at this time in his life. I agree. It's correct, and there's nothing even melancholy about it. I mean, I don't even think they try to play up the heartstrings when the toys are saying goodbye to him. It's almost, I mean, it's a retirement party, but nobody's crying. You know, co-workers leaving. I do feel like the most tender moment is when, and again, it's set up at the beginning of the film, mm -hmm. when... Woody hands that badge over to Jesse and says, you're the new sheriff. That is when my wife turned to me and like patted my cheeks. And she's like, are you crying? I'm like, no. And like, I look at her, she was. My wife loves romance when it's not a romance film. Like she loves the romantic moments so that Woody like had found the love of his life and was going away. Like that got to her. But I thought it was a nice tender moment with the passing of that badge. But nah, I didn't cry at this. Yeah, it signals a lot of things and what that could mean for a Toy Story. Maybe new Toy Stories can be told. Woody's Toy Story may be 
finished. But we do see a little bit about what his life might be like in the credits. They have an epilogue, of course, where we see the carnival toys freeing the other ones pinned up to the wall. Axel does not notice until they're all gone. <laughs> yeah, and I do love that Ducky and Bunny believe they have laser sight and can grow to be giant. <laughs> like, they go back to one of their delusional fantasies again. And even... <laughs> Poor Duke Kaboom. He's so out of his like, you guys really have laser eyes. <laughs> it's just so he can say, whoa, right? I mean, can't, yes. really, can't be in a movie and not say, whoa. <laughs> and we do see Duke Kaboom. He does high five Snow Patrol Combat Carl. I did cheer out loud at that moment because I, I felt so bad for Combat Carl when he was rejected that high five from Woody. <laughs> okay, so we have Forky. What are we calling a decorated plastic knife? Knifey? I mean, yeah. <laughs> Wifey? I mean. Yeah, maybe. But that's what they're telling us here, that ask me anything, I can explain everything. How am I alive? Yeah, don't ask. And a year has passed. She's in first grade now. The, yes. She's repeating her creative thing on the first day of school. I guess she still doesn't have any friends because she went to the garbage and got a plastic knife on her first day of first grade. And then if you stayed the whole way through the credits, you get a final Duke Kaboom. He replaces the Pixar lamp in pounding down that eye. Oh, but he doesn't. <laughs> Not really. But yes, <laughs> they, they, for a moment, they tried to say that he could. So, Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Toy Story 4? And how do you rank them? Jacob. Yeah, this one I really had to think about. Not that it, I ever thought it was going to be a red arrow, but it's a weird beast because it, it's got some broad comedy. You know, I laughed a lot during this film, but I found like when you get into the themes, whether you think this is about me too and getting rid of John Lasseter or just about parenting or grandparents and retiring, like it's weird because all the subtext, and I guess most subtext is more mature and adult, but like this one felt just more grown up than the other ones, even though I think all these films have done a great job at looking again at, at psychology and, and different types of personalities. And that's the wonderful thing about this series is that that reflection on, you know, how do we get along with people and how to reparent or how are we kids? All of that. That's what the meat of these films. And it's all wrapped up in these cute little toys that talk and do funny things. So I think this one, it is the best looking toy story. My biggest problem, and it's a little nitpick, is that there's too many ideas that Forky, ultimately a MacGuffin, he never really gets to develop into anything or you never really get to explore what does it mean to be a toy that's built by a child? And, you know, you, you could have gotten to some ideas like that. And then you got Bo Peep. I love Bo Peep. Again, the independent woman of cinema of the year thus far. And then, you know, Gabby, again, there's a lot of different ideas, but I like the way that this one subverted expectations where you don't really have that villainous toy that Gabby doesn't really go to the dark side. She's there a little bit, but it is a more mature film, I feel like, for adults to really reflect upon. And, and the kids are going to laugh as well. So this is another strong recommend. Like, these are all very solid films. If I had to rank them, three, two, and then I'd say four. Just because the technology is so much better, you're able to do so much more. And again, it, it appealed to me because it got into those parenting themes and getting older and then one. But all very close together. Like, this is a very strong franchise for me. Stuart. You know, in order for me to review this, I think I have to address a review I gave a few weeks ago. Platinum Donors, I'll try to make it for the G-rated audience. But on the Lethal Weapon 4 show, you heard me proclaim something to the effect of... They fork you with the fourth film. They fork you, they fork you, they fork you. <laughs> and it's true. In general, part fours are not something that are needed, ever. They're never the best one. And it's true here. I mean, I think that you could stop with the trilogy and you wouldn't miss that much by saying, I'm done. I don't need a Toy Story 4. I applaud that choice if that's what you 
feel. However, if you were like me and feared they were going to screw it up and that you were going to have an experience that was going to be hurtful to your memory of the Toy Story universe, no, it's absolutely not true. Yes, the jokes aren't as funny. The relationships aren't as heartwarming. You know, it's more messy. It's just not as tightly put together, but it's still a Toy Story film and it still has quality. It has a lot of goodwill, frankly, because of Woody. I don't know what this series would be if they decide to take the tech. He's not going to be in future installments because I do feel like a lot of what I get out of it emotionally is watching him say goodbye and watching him wrestle with that. And yes, sometimes that's also looking at the metatextual level of Pixar running straight into the controversy that's engulfed them in the last couple years and coming up with a very mature, well-considered response to how should we remember the good and bad of John Lasseter? And this is a way of doing that. But yeah, Forky's no replacement for Tom Hanks. Like, he's cute, but I don't know what they would do without Woody here. So I think it's a great way to say happily ever after for him. And while I don't think it is a classic, I think Pixar has managed to make the best quadrilogy ever made. I can't think of another string of four movies that has had such consistent quality and delivered such entertainment. I mean, I green-arrowed all the Alien movies. I know that there were other things that I've enjoyed to different degrees, but, you know, come on, the quality dropped after Aliens. We all know that. And here, I really feel like the drop from the other trilogy of Toy Story stories and Part 4 is very minimal. This is still a very solid recommend. So how do you rank them? Three, two, one, four. And... I was going along a similar train of thought when I was watching and after watching this movie. I really was thinking about trilogies of films that then later on tacked on a needless fourth one. You had your story, you had your beginning, your middle, your end. Scream 4, anyone? (laughs) Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull? I'm telling you, Mad Max is the only franchise where the fourth film is the best. Yeah, you're right, you're right. That one is close to being the best quadrilogy. I'm going to stand by Toy Story, though. Oh, yeah, definitely. Mad Max was always individual stories. It never felt like they closed an arc with Beyond Thunderdome. I never felt like them flying to Sydney really was ending that story. But I'm looking at Pirates of the Caribbean. They had a hit. They made two sequels. It was done. Oh, on Stranger Tides. The Bourne series, Bourne Legacy, Alien Resurrection, and then got Men in Black International, the next Karate Kid. They have a trilogy and they want the money. Why do you push forward when you have a closed arc? You want the money. Toy Story 4 is an unnecessary film. I mean, it's Disney. They want the money. Yeah, but I'm just saying in the arc of Toy Stories, they had the three-act structure and it was really well done one through three. This film is not needed. That said, they did really well with it. They were able to pretty much maintain the quality and to find a place to take the story that didn't feel redundant. I've complained in part three, God dang it, it's another Toys Need to Find Their Way Home movie. And I certainly was feeling that with Woody and Forky on the road here, but they take it in totally new directions. And the end result is Woody finds the point is not to go home. So while it's not necessary, it feels like an epilogue rather than a chapter in a story. It also isn't all that bad. I do feel a lot of the old characters are backburnered. It almost feels like Toy Story of the Next Generation, but 
I definitely enjoyed myself watching it. It's a green arrow, but it's the lowest on my Toy Story rankings. I go two, one, three, four. Wow, you put one above three. The one was the original three. If it wasn't for that end, I really didn't enjoy three tremendously. It was a good movie, but it's the end that packs the wallop. Everything with lots of Huggins and everything. I felt like it had all been covered in one and two. It was the end of three that really keeps it above four. So let's not kid ourselves. There's going to be a part five. The director said no. The director said there are no plans for a five. They view this at Pixar as the ending of the Toy Story quadrilogy. But he also did leave that door open. If somebody has a great idea, I mean, I wouldn't have thought that I'd be sitting here directing Toy Story 4 either. I thought we were done after three. Yeah, someone has a great idea. How do we make a billion dollars? <laughs> Toy Story 5. Yeah. And so within 10 years, they seem to be on a decade path. We will see a part five. I see two roads. I could see either you go for the nostalgia train and you hit all your marks by having it be about Woody coming out of retirement with Bo, probably to help Andy's children, you know, like we could just bring it all back and hit all of the old stuff. Or you can say there are other toys in the box. Let's essentially do a reboot where we look at entirely new sets of toys and see what their lives might be like. Do you really think you're going to make a billion dollars without Tom Hanks? I think Woody is the face of the franchise. This movie drove home to me how much this franchise is Woody. The Woody Bo Bunnies film to me, seems like the better bet and jettisoning Tim Allen and honestly, a lot of the other voices have passed away. I felt really bad. John Ratzenberger in this one because his poor piggy bank doesn't get to do anything. And moving on and seeing where Woody could go. I mean, how long are they going to live life on the road ripping off carnies? Where do they go from there? That's a more interesting story. But stop, guys, stop. You know, Spielberg turned down a ton of money and never made E.T. 2. At some point, artistic merit and cherishing what you've done should outweigh commerce. So you don't think they'll ever make E.T. 2? Because I think they will the day after Spielberg dies. It'll be announced. <laughs> hey, Spielberg did Indiana Jones 4. We know how that turned out. I do wonder if they only did a Toy Story 4 because the only other Pixar franchise to get a trilogy was Cars. And they're like, come on, guys, this is Toy Story. It's got to have more than Cars. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I'm not going to kid myself. But you know what? Every time I've been like, don't do it. And then two was better. And then three was really good. And then four didn't the bed. So it's all good. Here's how I feel. First of all, I think cars would be a cautionary tale for them, Jacob. <laughs> I, I think they would see a thing not to do there. And if you count the plane spinoffs, my God, Toy Story has to have how many more installments? Or maybe they could just do spinoffs with different toys. Those are Disney. We are corrected so many times about that. The planes are put out by Disney, not Pixar. But I had to face this when Disney bought Star Wars. You can't keep quality forever eventually they're going to make enough star wars films that one is going to really suck yeah they did that last jedi they already had done that already <laughs> but you didn't accept that it's called phantom menace he's talking about disney and they did the last jedi they should have taken <laughs> 10 years between force awakens and the sequel so it could have the quality of that pixar keeps up by taking a decade off is it you'll never be able to capture lightning in a bottle time and time and time again even if you bring the best talent every time eventually something screws it up so the more you go back 
It's literally like putting the chips on the table and you win the wheel and you're like, let it ride. I'm keeping my chips on green. Let's spin again. And eventually that marble is going to hit black and you're going to then damage. You're not just going to lose the current. You're going to damage what you've created. So if they do a five, I'm not going to fear it. I'll look forward to it because... Four was very entertaining. I really had to work hard to rank one, three, and four and figure out how they were ordered. I I view them all as very solid films, but we really now have a four-arc story. I don't know where you go from here. God forbid it be a great happenstance that now that Woody has left town, he would run back into the old toys again. No, you can't do that. No, he needs to come back because something is wrong with Andy's kids. I mean, they would bring it that much full circle. Andy has children now. There's something that Woody can do to help them. They're going to pull a hook? Yeah, something like that. I mean, I think you could make it all the way back to Andy if you wanted to. I don't want to. (laughs) Yeah, it's not my job to write it. I pity the person that has to. But we're not done talking about toys. Maybe a day or two from now, Annabelle's coming home. Yeah, and we had Child's Play on Friday. If you are one of our current donors or past donors during a Child's Play series, that show came out. So lots of toy talk here on Now Playing, but that's all going to change in a week because, yeah, Annabelle came out, but come on, everybody's looking forward to Spider-Man Far From Home. We love it 3000. It is not even out yet. Yep, the next Marvel chapter that will tell us all the movies that we don't know yet are coming. That will be interesting to find out. We're going to find out at San Diego Comic-Con is where they're going to announce Phase 4. Oh, okay. And in the meantime, if you join us on Friday, if you have the extra cash, we will be covering old series. Who doesn't like ice cream and blood? Or at least ice cream. Peg and Frost are back together. They've made a film now. Slaughterhouse Rules. We're covering that next Friday. Not a well-known film, but it's definitely in their wheelhouse. And then beyond that, we're going to cover two more Sergio Leone films before we get to that new Tarantino film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And in between that, we've got Eyes Wide Shut for our patrons, so... Put the kids to bed early. (laughs) But we appreciate you listeners so much. You know, if you support us financially, that's awesome. It enables us to do so many shows and put out extra shows like this one, and thank you. And if you're not able to support us financially, thank you for supporting us in the ways you do. By interacting with us on Facebook, by liking our page, by leaving us a five-star iTunes review. There's so many ways you guys support our show, and every single one of them matters. And I just want to thank you for joining us. I mean, we put out three podcasts this week. We all love that your appetite for our show is such that you're not like, oh my God, not another show. We're getting fed up. Yeah, they want us to retire with Woody. It could be. I mean, you know, it has been a really long road. But yeah, we still got stuff here in the toy box and I can't wait to talk about it. Thank you so much for being there with us. So we will talk to you Tuesday for Annabelle and hopefully you'll join us Friday for Slaughterhouse Rules because you have a friend in us. Um, One potential pickup. Um, I don't know if you want to talk. And maybe this has happened with other Pixar films. There was not a short before this. I don't know if you guys I, I knew I that. I actually had that in my notes. I got there a little late. I'm like, did I miss it? Because I saw, I missed a preview or two. We didn't, you know, we didn't talk about it. But we, we didn't about. mention the shorts of the thirds. Yeah, like in Incredibles and Teen Titans, we always talked about the shorts. We did. So I don't know. I know, but at the same time. Okay. No, I just, I had it in my notes. I wanted to bring it up. Never mind then.
still worried. About Andy? Nah. It'll be fun while it lasts. I'm proud of you, cowboy. Besides, when it all ends, I'll have old Buzz Lightyear to keep me company. For infinity and beyond. Thank you for listening to this Now Playing Podcast movie review. I have been chosen. Farewell, my friends. I go on to a better place. If you enjoyed this show, you can help us out by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your other podcast store of choice. If your kid loves you so much, why is he leaving? Want to hear more reviews like this one? You can find hundreds of other movie reviews at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. In the vacuum of space, they cannot hear you scream! In our archives section are over 800 reviews. Listen to our hosts discuss horror, sci-fi, comedy, action, drama, and more. Wow, this place is amazing. Plus, you can hear reviews of every movie based on Marvel or DC Comics. Are you kidding? It's a commercial! A new, totally free movie review podcast is posted every Tuesday. So come back each week for another new show. And blast! I'm gonna get played with! Now Playing relies on listener support to keep operating. If you'd help us, one toy to another, I'd sure be grateful. You can support Now Playing by joining our Podbean crowdfunding campaign. Backers can get early access to reviews, unedited reviews, exclusive shows not available anywhere else, and more. Details are at nowplayingpatron.com. You are going to help create happy memories that will last for the rest of her life. Uh Huh? At our Podbean site, you can also support the show by listening to any of our donation shows. Series like Planet of the Apes, Jurassic Park, Phantasm, Jaws, and others are available for a small, one-time contribution. We all have to make sure nothing happens to him. We want to specially thank our Podbean donors of $50 or more. Brent, AZ Kovacs, Brant Paddock, Nafe Williams, J. Clark Fisher, Logan2012, Neil Mulcahy, Roy Lake, T. Durden182, V.C. Neri, Wes Zimmerman2, Paul Blanchett, Len King Jr., Bowerman Entertainment, Cross CR, Fisher Jaw12, Jazer Watowski, Martin Hibbets, New York Giants Fan3342, Rudix, Andrew Doran, VMC Clentic, Now Playing Fan, Big Nico2047, Developer Adrian, Gojira76, Kiefer42, Moe, Price Jared 24, Sphinctech, The Zabukazar, Adam Malowinski, Chris L. Harris, And Marup, D. Peters Versus, Brandante, James on Childress, Klein 40, Mr. Osmus 2, Robert Carter USC, Ticasta 2176, TNF 73, We Are Tessellate, Anakin Flair. Uh, thank you, thank, thank you all, thank you. You can also donate to us directly on PayPal. Details can be found by clicking the banner at the top of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. You have saved our lives. We are eternally grateful. You saved their lives. Oh, my hero. Want 375 more Now Playing reviews? Get the Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Arnie, Stewart, Jacob, and Marjorie reviewed 125 different movies, each getting three recommends or not recommends. The ebook is available now, and the print book will be shipping soon. Find details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash book. Nirvana is coming. The mystic portal awaits. You can also follow Now Playing on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. There, the hosts post new episode announcements, movie reviews, and contests, where you can win movies and soundtracks. Also, subscribe to us on YouTube for original video content. Ah.
Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Everything's gonna be okay. Associate produced by Jason Latham. Good job, troops. We're that much closer to Woody. Now Playing is edited by Stephen, Heath, and Arnie. It's too short. We need more monkeys. There aren't any more. That's the whole barrel. Now Playing credits read by Brock. I don't believe that man's ever been to medical school. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. You are a I don't care bear. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. I have a question. Well, actually, not just one. I have all of them. I have all the questions. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Authority should derive from the consent of the governed, not from the threat of force. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of, and may not be used without the expressed written permission of, Venganza Media Incorporated. Shoots and ladders. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2019, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. So long, partner. Kaboom. And just talking on the level of the franchise, not getting into all the last of as I drop stuff, and not getting... Watching Key and Peele episodes as a family is like one of the things we do pretty normally. Like we love Key and Peele in this household. Like showed our kids Get Out because it has, it was, you know, by Jordan Peele. And we don't care if it's an R-rated horror film. You're watching Get Out. <laughs> Interesting choices. I salute that. My dad let me watch things I probably shouldn't have. And I, <laughs> I am the person I am today because of it. But... I love you. You're my child. I'm not going to judge you. Be friends. I want you to be happy. Like I love you. You're my child. Fun. I'm not going to judge you. I, I Could you talk to my parents, please? <laughs> <laughs> well, Nate, Nate, all parents are different. I can only speak from my experiences. I...